Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Is Bitcoin bad for the environment? That's what Greenpeace seems to think. Greenpeace, if you are not familiar, is a legacy environmental organization which has been wrong on many issues. And I'm of the belief that they're very wrong on cryptocurrency with respect to Bitcoin here. They have launched a campaign called Change the Code to, quote, clean up Bitcoin. And they've angered a lot of people in the cryptocurrency industry, including today's guest, Daniel Batten. Daniel and I connected last week after I published a piece explaining the dynamics of this campaign the problems and set with it, and I wanted him to come on the show to shed more light on this tension, debunk some mischaracterizations about Bitcoin's environmental footprint, and what the future looks like with respect to cryptocurrency and a cleaner environment. Daniel is entrepreneur, CEO, coach, uh, Bitcoin ESG analyst, author, and former TV actor. And he has had his work featured in Nature magazine, and he has received recognition for, quote, raising the New Zealand technology ecosystem at all levels. He is the author of How to Change the World with One Pitch, founder of Geniosis.com, and a tech investor with 22 years experience. He spends his days trying to be a good dad to his three daughters, Bitcoin analysis, teaching breathing techniques, helping to start new schools based on new educational models, and coaching an invite-only group of CEOs and influencers. If you weren't familiar with Bitcoin, I think now you will be. Daniel's a really fascinating guy, and I really appreciate him sitting down with me to break down this story. Listen to our conversation and let me know what you think. A story that I want all of you listening to be aware of is a legacy environmental group, Greenpeace, who you guys may be very familiar with, kind of dividing people in cryptocurrency and even their fellow environmentalists. And I wanted to bring on someone who I got to know recently because I had explored this topic for Independent Women's Forum. And we're really thrilled to have Daniel Batten, who knows this issue pretty well. He's based in New Zealand, uh, to kind of talk about this and deconstruct this issue with me. So Daniel, thank you so much for hopping on my podcast today. Hey, thanks very much. It's great to be here. What is your background and how did you get interested in cryptocurrency? Well, it certainly was a plan not made when you look at what I was going to be doing this year. So I've been an environmental campaigner for many years. At the same time, I also had a career in the IT industry, which culminated in starting a technology company, which exited three years ago. And for the last three years, I've been running a climate tech fund. So we invest in technologies which are basically good for the environment, good for humanity, And we've been doing that for a little period of time. And from there, I got interested in Bitcoin. 
And and why do you like Bitcoin so much compared to, let's say, uh, conventional currency? Well, actually, from an environmental point of view and from a point of view of helping humanity. There was a point in time when I had some friends in the environmental movement and some friends in the Bitcoin community, and they were saying completely opposite things about Bitcoin. One community was saying it's terrible for the environment, it's going to boil the oceans, and the other was saying, no, no, it's great for the environment, it's actually going to help to build out the renewable grid. And I decided, okay, uh, this is one of these times in life where I'm just going to have to do my own research, and so I did. And very quickly, I identified that the whole Bitcoin is bad for the environment narrative was nonsense. There were some very strong vested interests behind that narrative, but it just wasn't backed up by data at all. And in fact, what the data was saying was it was a tremendous environment net positive. And the more I got interested in it, the more I realized that not only was it a positive for the environment, uh, but it actually so solved a lot of problems that were facing humanity, such as how do you have a form of currency which is censorship resistant, which is decentralized, which uh, no one can freeze your bank account, which is, you might think if you're in the West, well, that's not in danger of happening to me. But as we've learned in recent times, in fact, it is a danger to you. Governments can seize bank accounts when you are protesting and doing something which is inconvenient to them. We saw that in the truckers protest in Canada recently. But it happens a whole lot in outside the West as well. It's it's very, very common if you're a part of a human rights movement and you want to speak out against the government, uh, government can freeze your bank account very fast. And so Bitcoin actually provides a mechanism where you can bypass government and you are able to continue doing the great work you're doing in the world. So I just got more and more fascinated with what it did um, as a tool for the environment and as a tool for humanity. In terms of the environment, the fascinating thing about Bitcoin is that because it consumes energy, it is one of the very few users of energy in the world that is what we call location agnostic. And so what that means is just a fancy way of saying you can put it anywhere. It doesn't have to be next to the grid. It doesn't have to be next to gas pipelines to work. So unlike hospitals or unlike just about every other form of um, user of electricity, all it needs is an internet connection. So, for example, you can have um, one thing I became very interested in. We have really large methane emissions coming into the air, and more and more reports are coming out about this from NASA at the moment about the severity of our methane leaks. It's happening in the oil and gas industry, it's happening from landfills, it's happening from wastewater, it's happening right across the board. And Bitcoin has this incredibly unique ability, which is much more cost-effective than any other form or user of that power. So what it can do is you can have, for example, a landfill, which is emitting methane. You can get a generator, which captures that methane and uses it to generate electricity. And then you think, well, what are you going to do with that electricity if you don't have a grid nearby? Well, you can use it for Bitcoin mining. And it's one of the very, very few, if not the only in many cases, forms that actually stacks up. And so what that means is you can actually start to use... uh, these wasted forms of energy, which are both an environmental liability and an economic liability, and you can turn them into a source of power. It's good for the environment. It's good economically, and it's good for the communities because that land then goes back to the municipalities. So the more I looked at it, the more I saw that it has some incredible benefits uh, for the environment and for humanity. Some environmentalists, however, especially in the form of this coalition called the Environmental Working Group, which includes Greenpeace, have decided that Bitcoin poses this existential threat to the climate 
So they formed this campaign, which you have highlighted very well and in, in detail, called Change the Code, Not the Climate. And I think millions of dollars, I'm not sure if it's surpassed $10 million yet, but I know at least $6 million have been pumped into this campaign, a very plushy campaign to encourage the switch from proof-of-work framework to a proof-of-stake framework, uh, which is what they've done for Ethereum, from my knowledge. So can you break down this campaign and why some environmentalists are buying into changing the framework of uh, Bitcoin? Well, I think for the most part that their hearts are in the right place. They want to reduce sources of consumption. They've identified that Bitcoin uses a lot of energy, which is true. But then, unfortunately, what they've done is they've gone from there to say, therefore, we should ban it, or therefore, it's it's not useful. And the reason this occurs is that their information sources have systematically done two things. Number one, the positive value of Bitcoin is just not a story that's told at all. So you gain this impression that it's simply a speculative asset, which has no real value at all to humanity. It's just a tool for people to trade on and speculate on. And then in parallel to that, you're presented with, from time to time, these little examples will get cherry-picked, such as when a Bitcoin mining facility opened a, a gas plant. And what will happen in the mainstream media is you'll have that story will be amplified and it'll get continually regurgitated. But the 31 examples of where it uses renewable energy or even carbon negative energy just don't get told in the mainstream media at all. So when that's the diet that you're fed, uh, it's very unsurprising that a lot of environmentalists would come to the conclusion that this is a technology that has no value, uses too much energy, and we should move it to, to ways of using energy which are more energy efficient. Um, it's completely misguided, as I said, but I have sympathy to it because I almost fell for that mainstream narrative myself, and I almost went down that same hole of thinking this is a useless te technology, it's bad for the environment. And it was thankfully only due to a friend of mine who said, actually, there's a whole lot of information you're not getting, read this. I did the reading, I did the analysis, because I'm a data analyst as well, and I very quickly came to the conclusion that, no, this is actually a net positive. So these viewpoints about it being a net negative really come from, uh, unfortunately, swallowing the mainstream narrative um, hook, line, and sinker without any independent research. Now, in terms of this movement about, oh, Ethereum uses this thing called proof of stake and Bitcoin uses proof of work, and if it just moved from proof of work to proof of stake, it would only use 1% of the current energy. Um, it's flawed thinking for a number of reasons. The first thing is that Ethereum and Bitcoin are presented as competitors. They're not competitors. Um, the only thing they have in common is they're both cryptocurrencies. It's, it's like saying that gold and iron are competitors. The only thing they have in common is they're both metal, but the way they get used is completely different. So if, for Ethereum to be on proof of stake makes sense because it's being used for smart contracts. It's the basis of NFTs. And if you look at how it's used, it doesn't have to have the same level of security that Bitcoin does. Bitcoin, by contrast, this is something which is money. It's something which is a store of value. And as such, it needs to have a means of protecting it, which is safe against multiple nation-state attacks on the network. And the system called proof of stake, without getting into the weeds, is a system which can never guarantee that level of security. It would fundamentally stop it from being a decentralized uh, form of money. 
and it would make it vulnerable to exactly the forms of capture by vested interests, which is why Satoshi Nakamoto designed Bitcoin in the first place, which was to get round the issues with central banks who could create currency out of thin air via money printing. And you can't do that in Bitcoin. It has a fixed supply. You cannot create more of it. And you can't change the rules of it except by consensus. You don't have a group of people in the middle, such as central bankers, who can make the rules, which can have an impact on the rest of the population. That's what's strong about it. That's what's great about it. And that's what everyone who understands Bitcoin knows is what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin is it's what we call the proof-of-work-based consensus mechanism, which requires energy to validate and to securitize the entire network. Yeah, the University College London Center for Blockchain Technologies, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but in some previous pieces I've written about Bitcoin for IWF, I cited their most recent survey that showed that the exact energy consumption characteristics of -of proof-of-stake-based systems and differences between competitors are not widely understood. So I think they've cast some doubt on energy output for proof of stake here. So it's very interesting. We're starting to see that data come out. Have you also seen more and more um, data analysts start to challenge whether or not energy consumption is better under the alternatives? Well, it's a really interesting one. I, I don't look at energy consumption too much because I don't see energy consumption as a negative Energy consumption is only a negative if your sources of energy are are things which are going to be pollutants to the environment. But if they're going to be things which are going to actually take pollution out of the environment, it's a positive. So let me give you an example. If every single power source of Bitcoin in the world was using coal, then yes, environmentalists would rightly say, hey, that's that's not great for the environment. We should move to more renewable forms of energy. Fair enough. If every form of Bitcoin mining was based on renewable energy, you'd say, actually, it's supporting the renewable build out of the grid. But then you go a step further and you say, well, what's even better than using renewable energy? What's better than that is taking something that is a contributor to climate change, such as methane emissions, and rather than allowing them to go into the environment, you capture them and you use them to generate power, electricity, and you use that to power the network. Now that energy consumption is actually an extreme advantage and you want to consume more energy because the more energy it uses, the more methane you can take, you can stop from going into the atmosphere, which is an immense positive for the environment. Uh, methane as well, uh, I mean, even if you don't believe in climate change, uh, methane as well is a as a source of many respiratory deaths and illnesses every single year. It's an environmental pollutant of immense scale. Um, and so there's health challenges with it as well. When you take it out of the atmosphere and use it as a source of power, it's an incredible net positive. So I actually see Bitcoin's energy consumption as one of its main advantages. If you look at how Bitcoin is migrating towards more renewable and carbon negative energy sources at the moment, right now more than 50% of the whole network is using renewable or zero emission forms of energy. Uh, that's leading every single industry sector of the world. So it's actually showing what's possible to other industry sectors. It's it's way ahead. And then if you look at what else it's doing, it's also starting to use flared gas emissions. So we have a number of different sites right now. In fact, 
almost two and a half percent of the network is using what was previously flared gas, which again is a is a major environmental concern. There's a number of environmental organizations who say we want to end the flaring of gas. Well, Bitcoin is actually providing a practical, tangible solution to ending that. So everywhere you look at it, the, the proof of work based mechanism and its energy use, my analysis is saying that by the end of 2024, the entire network will actually be carbon neutral and then it'll very quickly flipped carbon negative directly afterwards. I cited that statistic and from your article in Bitcoin magazine, which did a great job highlighting kind of this tension between legacy environmental groups like Greenpeace and other environmentalists like yourself who see the value and the inherent benefits to Bitcoin and don't see it as a negative influence with respect to an environmental impact and actually can chart the globe on a, on a better path in that respect. And so do you think more people will start to, to notice its carbon neutral future? Um, those December, 2024 statistics that you were citing, is that getting cited more and more? Uh, yes, it is. It's early stages. And it's been interesting because after the Ethereum moved, it used to be on proof of work, same as Bitcoin, it moved to proof of stake. And that was really the point where a lot of people were saying, hey, Ethereum has proved that it can move from proof of stake. Bitcoin should do the same. And they weren't expecting the answer, which was, well, not only do we not want to move to proof of stake because it stops Bitcoin from being Bitcoin, it makes it vulnerable to attack and to capture and it's no longer decentralized. Uh, but the other reason we don't want to move to proof of stake is it would actually be worse for the environment because were we to do so, it would stop the Bitcoin's potential from ever becoming carbon negative. And the the work that I've done, it's been reviewed by climate scientists. And so we're using methodologies which are widely accepted by the IPCC, by all the different international bodies who measure carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. And it's based on some pretty basic chemistry, really, which is when you are combusting methane, taking it out of the atmosphere. Of course, methane is 84 times more warming than carbon dioxide. Um, the United Nations Environment Program has actually said that it's our strongest lever to reduce climate change in the next 25 years. And yet, at the same time, we have had very, very few mechanisms to do this, which actually are available today. And as a climate tech venture capitalist, I already had to pivot and go, you know what, if all I'm investing in is technologies that may be available post-2030, that's a little bit too late. We need to do things that can make a difference now. And Bitcoin mining was really the only economical way that we could start to mitigate this methane and help to build out the renewable grid at scale that was available right now. So it is getting more and more picked up. Uh, people are realizing that it's not a straight divide, whereas if you're an environmentalist, that means you have to be anti-Bitcoin. Not at all. There are a number of very strong uh, environmentalists within the Bitcoin community. I would say they're much more um, based on data and analysis rather than narrative and assumption than the environmentalists who are against it. Because just as the path that I went on was from one of essentially ignorance and assumption, which was, oh, it must be bad because it consumes energy to a more nuanced view, which is no, it depends on the source of energy it's consuming, that we're going to see more and more environmentalists who are going to look at it deeper, look at it a second time, start to see its value 
in terms of helping humanity around the world and are going to start coming up with some different conclusions. Uh, but for that to happen, they're going to have to start looking outside the mainstream media because they're not going to come to that conclusion if that's what they rely on for their information source. According to the most recent report, or rather the most comprehensive report I've seen from my government, the U.S. government, on cryptocurrency, I see them not recognizing this, unfortunately. They, they've they talked about that they would like to see a proof-of-stake system infrastructure going forward. There has to be a lot of convincing with them, I think, at first. So I'm not hopeful here in the States, but I hope that maybe we have elections tomorrow. So maybe some people who are sympathetic to Bitcoin could perhaps educate the federal government in this respect. So maybe there that could happen, but I don't see our federal government doing that because they want to have their own CBDC established. And that doesn't really inspire much hope, I think, to many Americans who may be sympathetic to Bitcoin, even if they don't partake in it directly, such as the case with me. But I want to ask you, in terms of groups like Greenpeace that have engaged in, obviously, kind of tarnishing Bitcoin and misrepresenting its environmental footprint, what kind of reputational damage does that do for environmentalists if they continue to attack Bitcoin in this respect and divide people who may be sympathetic to their aims? I think it's going to cause, it already has caused huge reputational damage. Now, one of the analysts in the Bitcoin community, Willie Wu, has estimated that it costs them around $7.1 million in terms of lost subscriptions alone. And the reason for this is they've really miscalculated. The base that traditionally is most likely to support an organization such as Greenpeace is 18 to 34-year-olds. They are more than twice as likely than the general population to believe that climate change is a serious threat. What Greenpeace USA may not have realized is they're also twice as likely to hold Bitcoin. And what they may not have also realized is they're also the most likely group by far not to trust mainstream media. And so what that means is they're used to doing their own research. They're used to not trusting a mainstream narrative, which is just as well because that's very anti-Bitcoin in the mainstream. They are much more likely to hold Bitcoin and they are much more likely to think climate change is a serious issue. So in other words, Greenpeace has really antagonized their base and they've miscalculated how once outside that very curatable environment of mainstream media where Bitcoin has had the right of reply and they were able to meet narrative and lack of information with data and deep research, uh, just how bad that would make them look. And the second thing is that Historically, Greenpeace has been a, a grassroots organization. Well, Greenpeace USA took a departure from that because they took a total now of $6 million from Chris Larson, who is the chair of Ripple. And Ripple is not just another altcoin. Ripple is piloting a collaboration to create their own CDBCs, central bank digital currencies, which is a completely oppositional view of the future to the view of the future which Bitcoin represents. We are at this incredible fulcrum for humanity where we have the choice either to give more and more power to centralized, unelected authorities such as central banks, or we give more power to the people. Central bank digital currencies give more power than we, central bankers have ever had before in history, whereas Bitcoin actually disintermediates the central bankers and gives it back to the people. You can't have central bankers who just print money and with all the economic devastation uh, that that occurs to an entire culture, an entire society. So it's a very interesting point 
of inflection in human history. And increasingly, it's those 18 to 34-year-olds who realize that. And they're the ones who are saying, no, we actually don't want central bankers to have more power. We don't want these unelected officials to have more power. We don't trust what they've done historically. Why would we give them even more power than they've had to date? So, yes, so I do believe that Greenpeace has alienated a good portion of their base, or Greenpeace USA, rather. And I did a survey recently just to say, hey, look, what would it take for you to actually regain your confidence in this organization? And 58% said yes, if they if they apologize and started to research uh, Bitcoin and actually change their narrative, and that would absolutely cause them to relook at the organization and they could reestablish a lot of the credibility that they've lost. Uh, at the moment, any attempt to reach out through a number of environmentalists in the Bitcoin community to Greenpeace USA, they've fallen on deaf ears. We haven't had our requests met at all. They don't seem to have any interest in engaging. Um, rather, they just seem to be doubling down, unfortunately, on um, more and more of the same. Um, that's their choice. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't need Greenpeace USA to like Bitcoin in order to succeed. It'll succeed anyway. But certainly for the world, I think we need organizations that are highlighting um, the importance of looking after the planet. And when these large organizations start to lose credibility by taking money from billionaires with their own vested interests, it really does damage their reputation. And particularly when they then go on to lead a campaign which is not based on data, um, then it damages the reputation even more. And it's unfortunate. So I just hope that people there will start to challenge uh, that perhaps other branches of Greenpeace who, interestingly, have not retweeted any of Greenpeace USA's campaign at all since September, um, nor has their own base reached to their defence. So clearly this is, not, this is not an issue which all branches of Greenpeace um, seem to be widely behind and supportive of what Greenpeace USA has even done. So I'm just hopeful that other environmentalists, even within the own organization, will start to ask questions and say, I think we're going down completely the wrong track. And we're really in danger, not only of alienating our base, losing credibility, losing our ability to really take the moral high ground, which is what a lot of their campaigns rely on, but they're also in danger of being on the wrong side of history, along with the people who foresaw that the internet would be no more important than a fax machine. Greenpeace has kind of jeopardized their credibility here in the States, if I can speak to that a little bit. Um, they had a report recently that came out that said that despite their pushes for recycling, that it only was maybe 5 to 6% effective in reducing plastic waste. And a lot of people have called some of their campaigns into question. So it would be really nice. I, I would love to share your optimism about people on the inside changing. I do hope that's the case. And perhaps they reconsider their position. But if they're shrugging uh, some of your colleagues and supporters and, and, and readers of yours, I'm not sure we can have confidence instilled in us um, with that. But maybe internally, we can only hope that perhaps they change their direction uh, there. But Daniel, where can everyone follow your work, your musings, um, subscribe to your musings on, at Bitcoin Magazine, any initiatives that you're doing? Dispense all the links if you can. Yeah, absolutely. So Best place to find me is on Twitter. So that's at DS Batten, B A T T E N, at DS Batten. And I also have a blog, which is Batcoins, 
That's with a Z or Z, as you say in the States. So batcoins.com. And there I talk a lot about Bitcoin's environmental utility. I talk about, backed up by data, how it can help to build out the renewable grid, how it can help to mitigate methane. Um, but also increasingly, just some of the uh, very specific examples about the misconceptions people have about Bitcoin. And just misconception by misconception, I'll be tweeting a lot about how to tackle those misconceptions. Again, based on data, not based on misunderstanding. Very informative conversation we've had with you, Daniel. I've learned a lot listening to you, and I hope my listeners have also kind of opened their ears to this really malicious campaign from Greenpeace, maybe taking an interest in at least wanting to understand cryptocurrency and this kind of debate between proof of work and proof of stake and, you know, government involvement here, environmental footprint. I think all of these topics are very, very important. So I really appreciate your coming on to this podcast and and sharing your perspective and, and your work to combat Greenpeace here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.